everybody. Happy New Year and welcome to the first episode of Technically Minded for 2022. This week we're talking technology trends with our CTOs and just a quick note to say we've had to revert back to recording online given global restrictions. So apologies in advance for the dip in quality um, and we're hoping to be back in the recording studio and face to face very soon. We've got quite an exciting episode today, so we'll get straight to it. I'm Kyle Taylor, Managing Consultant at Credera UK, and I will be your host for today. I'm joined by two of my very esteemed colleagues, specifically the men that lead the technology arms on both sides of the water for Credera. Um, so first of all, uh, we're joined by Jason Goth from Credera US. How's it going, Jason? Great, Kyle. Morning, or I guess afternoon for you. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, what time is it over there? Uh, it's 11 a.m. Well, it's not too bad then. I, I feel uh, at least relieved I haven't gotten you out of bed this time. Um, and I'm also joined by Marius Rubin from Cordero UK. Hi, Kyle. How's it going? It's definitely not morning here. It's very dark. <laughs> Yes, um, the joys of us being a uh, very globally based organisation now and everybody being in very different locations and time zones. Um, we obviously don't have a lot of time, so we'll get straight to it. Um, but the topic today um, for our listeners is um, really focusing on what we feel the technology trends within the consulting space are going to be for 2022. Um, so what we're going to do is just have a bit of a chat and a discussion around, um, you know, what was noticed um, in 2021 um, and then um, get Marius and uh, Jason's views as to um, what's going to happen in 2022, um, given um, their expertise as the CTOs of both arms of Credera. So um, I guess the first uh, talking point for today then chaps is uh, what technology trends or themes did we see um, potentially key challenges um, in the work that we did with our clients um, last year? Um, which, you know, that might give some indication as to where we see things going this year, but it would be good to get your views on that. Jason, do you want to go first? Um, sure, yeah. I think, you know, for, for us, and you know, there were really two kind of key challenges. Uh, one is really, I think, clients have started, you know, understanding uh, and really embracing the idea that they need to deliver uh, software uh, uh, quickly, you know, at scale with high quality and have really bought into the ideas of, you know, continuous delivery uh, and DevOps. But I think there's been a big challenge adopting that, right? In organizations, there's a lot of, uh, you know, legacy, not just legacy technology, but legacy processes uh, within in companies that are, are sort of a, a barrier to that, you know, uh, and many of those things are not even inside the technology department. I, you know, budgeting is a good example, right? So um, with many clients there, you have to, these are the 10 things we're going to deliver. And 
here's the budget for them. And if, if for some reason those 10 things, you know, need to change or some of those things need to change, it's very hard to go back and, and adjust uh, expectations, right, uh, in terms of what's been communicated that's going to be delivered. And so, you know, I think one of the, and I think this kind of dovetails into a, a trend for 2022 is continuing to try and uh, break down some of those those legacy silos, uh, some of the legacy processes in order to uh, be able to do more continuous delivery. Uh, I'd say the second, uh, you know, oh, sorry. Uh, one one so other it, thing, it, obviously, is it's been difficult. It's, it's finding people, right? Um, that That's true from both our side and the client side in, in terms of, you know, the labor market for technology, senior technology folks especially, this is really tight. Go ahead, that's Marius. Really interesting. No, I was just, just agreeing with Jason. I think we've seen really similar it's really similar challenges across a lot of our clients um, in the UK. And I think it's also really interesting is, is kind of some of the effects we've seen of that and how technology in some cases is really exacerbating it. So uh, absolutely, we've got clients, as Jason said, where there's still these complex legacy estates. But along with that, the availability and I guess ever increasing availability of a technology that can be adopted pretty quickly if you're doing new stuff with it is driving this kind of incredible proliferation inside clients so their estates are getting more and more complex and they're getting more complex more quickly and different bits are moving at very different speeds so you've got the folk who are um, looking at devops processes who are in some cases very advanced but possibly only very advanced in some parts of their organization and it produces these quite challenging frictions where at certain points they're bottlenecked or held up by the parts of the organization that for perfectly good reason are relying on technologies that have been serving the businesses faithfully for a long time and so that's something I think across the board we've seen as a real challenge and just you know, that's a pace that you know, certainly last year was increasing and it's only increasing uh, going to increase in the coming year I think um and interestingly jason mentioned skills I, I think i probably pulled a little face at that point because you know we've certainly found it an amazingly challenging market um to hire in um particularly with a lot of remote working i think people have clocked how critical technology is to the way they operate um if they hadn't already but on top of that i think it's the range of new technologies means there's a lot of demand for niche skills and probably more so than in previous years. We've seen a lot of organizations asking for skills from us and looking to hire skills in the market that are really, really niche um, and where they've been reading that a technology is a great fit for their challenges and it may well be but the number of individuals who might actually have experience with it due to how recent it is to the market um, might be really low. So that's also kind of um, I'm sure that will only carry on simply if you look at how many new things have come onto the market last year and the, the pace of creation going on in the likes of the large cloud vendors and the data product vendors go, well, they introduced these products last year. So people are going to want to be doing more with them this year. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really it's a it's sort of fast moving with all the challenges that come with that. Sure. I, I mean, as with it's the old adage, isn't it, that, you know, nothing moves faster than 
the pace of technology but um, especially with the um, challenging circumstances we've all been facing the last couple of years it's it's really kind of catalyzed um, some areas anyway um, which leads us nicely on to um, our sort of second talking point for today and uh, it'd be great to get the views from both of you on this but you know Marius you kind of mentioned just then about um, you know just how fast things are growing how many new things different organizations are taking on to solve various different challenges were there any kind of um, particular new surfacing technologies that um, you know caught your eye which you think will just continue to grow into 2022? There are a couple of technologies we're seeing in our client base uh, in the UK, um, which it's, it's worth saying we tend to work with um, large complex enterprise organisations, you know, sort of both government and financial services and energy and utilities. And we've seen some real innovation in those and particularly probably in any area, if I had to pick one, it's been innovation in data and adopting novel data architectures. Um, quite a few organizations we work with have uh, almost skipped out or are intending to skip out some of the kind of big data um, usage that quite a lot of organizations have been running with for a while. So the kind of Hadoops and Sparks of this world and are looking at now kind of cloud native options immediately uh, now that that's opportunities available uh, and is being kind of supported by their more infrastructure focused teams. Um, so we've seen uh, a large number of big blue chip organizations, government departments, looking at architectures like data mesh, which when you look at the kind of spectrum of highly innovative through to quite widely adopted, this is right towards the very innovative end. Um, and, I'll look, and they're looking at for that using the latest and greatest offerings, serverless data offerings from the likes of AWS, Google and Microsoft. They're looking at adopting products like Snowflake straight away for their warehousing um, before even considering just sort of more traditional warehouses hosted in cloud. So that, that's been really conspicuous um, as a trend last year. Certainly, I think we're going to see more of it this year. And on top of that, now, I guess, increasing realism about the adoption of AI and ML and starting to look at ways to leverage uh, again sort of cloud hosted tool sets or more user friendly tool sets like DataIQ or things like SageMaker to make real business difference and to use them to tackle let's say pragmatic statistical challenges um, and to have this be something that's really now working through organizations which historically have done more kind of traditional warehousing so yeah that's those are probably the areas I'm, I'm really excited about for this year. Jason, are you seeing the same on your side of the pond or anything different? No, I think definitely the uh, the adoption of more modern data and you know big data architectures to really to drive you know scale in the in data and insights and get a lot of those innovations is, is definitely something we see. Uh, I think the one thing I would add to those two is. You know, as as you look at all of the new things coming out, whether it be AI and ML or you know VR, these are a lot of the things that ca you know are very catchy and, and and grab a lot of the headlines. But they they are somewhat uh, enabled by more of some of the edge platforms, right? And so a lot of these kind of technologies don't do well 
uh, you know, um, making round trips to the data center. You know, if you're, let's say, you know, especially, let's say you're a, a, a fast food chain and you're, you're trying to do voice recognition in a drive-through or you're a car company and you're trying to, to, you know, process, um, you know, things in the vehicle, they don't really survive a trip to the data center, nor is that even always possible, right? They have to operate in a disconnected state. And so a lot of the edge platforms are, are we view as like an enabling technology for a lot of these things. Um, I think what companies, and this is a little bit of a, a trend that we're already seeing as, as they move out, is that that's a much bigger lift than people think. Um, just because you think of it as just distributing the compute, but that comes with a lot of uh, really difficult challenges. For example, updating them, right, and yet maintaining them and monitoring them, and you know having physical brake fix, uh, you know, if, if that's necessary. Um, and so those, you know, there it, it turns into like a much bigger. Uh, uh, implementation than people realize, and that, that's somewhat putting, uh, delaying the, the benefits of the things that you could run on top of it. And so, uh, one of the things that we are doing is working to, to put some re kind of reference architecture playbooks together on how to get those things uh, adopted quickly and smoothly uh, and uncover some of the hidden hidden pitfalls so that then they can be leveraged to do some of the, the data collection and IoT and more, you know, uh, edge side machine learning use cases. Cool. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, I'll include myself in, in this, but, um, you know, just for the uh, people that don't know, um, if we can just pick on a few of the things that you guys mentioned there and just dive into them a little bit more. Um, so, I mean, data mesh is one that I'm familiar with. It's something that I've personally been working um, around for, you know, sort of the last year or so. Um, and it is really interesting. But Marius, could you explain a bit more what data mesh is as a concept? Oh, wow, you put me on the spot there. Um, yes, uh, hopefully Sorry I can. And I'm sure you'll do a great job of correcting me when I uh, make a hash of it. No, so <sighs> where to stop? Data mesh is and it's, it's important to give credit for this, uh, data mesh as a, as a term and as a kind of architectural pattern has really been popularized by um, Jamak Tagani at ThoughtWorks, who's the person who uh, she wrote the kind of first, or what's become the kind of reference paper on what it is and, and why people might adopt it. And essentially, uh, the way I see it, and again, this is really my interpretation of it, is it, it's kind of a, almost a response to the challenges of some of the architectural uh, patterns and approaches to managing data that have gone before. And uh, the kind of two ones that we've, a lot of our clients have kind of gone through and experienced challenges with before this are the kind of traditional large scale data warehouses where everything had to be very structured and you sort of have third normal form and Kimballs and fact, fact dimensions and star schema and all that sort of stuff. And that introduced lots of delays in the process of getting value from data as people had to model everything uh, in a very structured fashion and, and it was quite inflexible uh, when you then needed to, in environments with kind of rapidly changing data landscapes and also not massively effective for data science use cases or kind of unstructured data, flattened data, the sort of stuff that is generated by really large scale uh, IoT activity or um, 
you know really massive scale uh, user analytics and things like that. So that world had some challenges. Then there's a kind of the big data type world, which is great at coping with really massive volumes, can be quite flexible, and then has some and is inherently kind of file based essentially, and has warehousing on top of it or warehousing type approaches applied on top of it so it looks like sql but under the hood it's all executing in spark um, or similar on hadoop that then also brought a load of challenges because those platforms are incredibly hard to manage and actually the ways that they work force a, a bit similarly to be honest, a similar set of technologies onto what's often quite a broad technology lands or a broad set of data related problems and data mesh as an advantage um, of its approach is designed to recognize that the different business use cases you have for data and the different business domains of your data may have different analytical needs um, and is therefore broadly less constrained in terms of how you, you know it, it, or how you organize it what technologies you pick other than that you need common standards for accessibility and interoperability and how people can um, kind of understand what data is out there but you're less tied in to exactly, you know, to a very narrow range of kind of underlying processing technologies to address it. And so your data scientist can grab the data in a raw form and apply their tooling to it. Your warehousing person can have a pipeline that takes it into something more warehouse shaped that they can run their um, bulk aggregations on and similar. Now, this is all great and I'm conscious I've just rattled on for a bit and it's all pretty vague and wafty. I think what it's trying to do is say you can have the right technology enabled typically by cloud simply because that lets you stand up the variety of things you need relatively quickly and have multiple copies in different technologies and relatively cheap storage and you can kind of do whatever you want in practice and Carl I'd love to hear how you found it it's quite a complicated model and it requires massive maturity and it makes a load of assumptions about the engineering maturity of the organizations delivering it such that they can automate huge amounts of infrastructure deployment at scale and automate all the security and access control around it and stand up all these different technologies and that can actually be a bit of a challenge so while i think the patterns become very popular the organizations we're working with that have a real need and scale themselves for this variety and have this many business domains are still pretty early on in their journey um so hopefully yeah i think that's my vague attempt to describe it I ha how what do you think kyle how does that match with your experience i mean i think you've explained it very well maris um i wouldn't add anything i think i agree with you from a perspective of um you know it is a very new concept it is a concept that has been created specifically to um you know combat the challenges that you've said before as just mentioned and sort of the history of it's maybe not the right way to phrase it but the history of how people have treated their data architecture in the past in the sense of we've decided we don't want this lake anymore let's spin up a warehouse or we've decided we don't want this warehouse let's spin up a lake house and it kind of it it's a really interesting concept of just saying well, actually, it might be more efficient for you to just accept that you have these things and find a way to mesh them together rather than starting from scratch again. And that, you know, yeah. it, for a lot of organizations that actually, um, you know, provides massive benefit, both from a 
a time and financial perspective because you need to have both of those every time you spin up a new architecture or infrastructure don't you so um but yes um it is very new it does have its own complexities um but i think it has potentially massive benefits for those that can um you know pull it off basically and for those it suits as with all things not everything suits everybody um jason a couple of things that you mentioned which um uh, may be quite interesting so we you mentioned ai a couple of times ai is probably a term that you know a lot of people have heard but it'd be interesting to know what your views are on on kind of what's new in that space and also you mentioned edge, edge technologies but you know can you dig a little deeper into what you mean by those sure um you know i think uh, we have a pretty uh detailed point of view on ai i mean i, I think it, it's no surprise to anyone listening that you know most ai projects don't really achieve the benefits that they uh, uh they set out to to you know it, it's pretty easy to um you know, build a, a fairly you know simple static model. Uh, get some data, clean that up manually. Model, you know, run through different modeling and come up with something that does you know some fairly good uh, statistical um, uh, predictions, right? Like here, here are a bunch of things that are ordered. What are people likely you know to uh, buy? Given any other product, what are you likely to, to buy uh, in combination with that? The challenge is, though, then those things have to get engineered into products at scale, right? And so what runs on a, um, and this, this is the concept that you'll generally hear as AI or ML ops, right? Um, you know, th that's great, but like when you get that engineered into my, my uh, website, like that, and, and support the kind of scale and performance needs uh, that a, a customer-facing kind of application would need um, there's a challenge there then there's a challenge of uh, well let me have to you know those things don't work forever right so some model may predict I'm selling t-shirts it may predict you know uh, other t-shirts I might like and that may be working great and then one day who knows right you know someone may see uh, you know a celebrity with a t-shirt online who knows what goes into these decisions that's sort of the point of machine learning and AI is, is that like no one can know. So we're like, you know, using statistics to guess. Um, and so all of a sudden they don't work. So they have to be monitored. Like, like these things service some business outcome, like we're, we're recommending products and those recommendations are taken or, um, you know, we're uh, translating, you know, invoices and digitizing invoices, right. Or, or, bills and, and that those uh, translations and are accurate right? or voice translations are accurate and so as things change new words get introduced like new formats of, of you know uh, bills get done with QR codes like there's a lot of um, uh, change that has to happen you get to monitor them and be able to retrain those models and re-engineer them and redeploy them and that that kind of pipeline that somewhat analogous to uh, you know, software DevOps pipelines um, has to get built. And that's where people, I think, really struggle um, because those are not simple things to do. 
Um, and that's why a lot of the platforms that you see online, uh, from you know, especially from the big cloud vendors, Google and, and Amazon, like, they provide a lot of that tooling. Uh, some of the things Marius mentioned earlier, SageMaker and Vertex, and those those kind of platforms. And that we see like the adoption of those as really a, an enabling factor to get some of the benefits that hopefully you know machine learning and AI promise to get. Um, because, you know, I think building it yourself, you know, it's not that building it yourself isn't the right thing to do for some people, um, but it requires a lot of maturity and a lot of investment. And so a lot of times I think you can get some benefit, uh, business benefit much more quickly looking at, at a platform. Um, you know, and I think the, the same thing with Edge, you know, the idea of Edge is like we're, you know, we, for years, we had things, you know, if you think about a bank or a, a, a retail location, there was a server in the, you know, there was an AS400 sitting in the back of the bank. There was a, a window server sitting in the back of the restaurant or of the of the grocery store or the retail location. And, you know, there was a big move, like, we need to centralize all of that, put it in the cloud. Well, again, th that has served us well for a number of years, decades, and, but now as, a lot of these um, technologies require a lot of compute, and they don't really withstand the latency of a round trip to a data center. They have to work in a disconnected mode. Think about uh, something. We, we've worked with a solution with a trucking manufacturer where they were monitoring the uh, temperature uh, on um, uh Within their trucks, so you know things that you know if you're carrying food or things that, that have to remain frozen, it's important to know if the temperature starts creeping up. And you know those things need to you know you can drive in through a tunnel, you can go through an area where you're disconnected, and so you have to have these kind of store and forward mechanisms to uh, keep that data and reconnect and, and process. Uh, so you know. Those things have to be secured. You know, when you when you start pushing things out to the edge, they have to be secured. They have to be able to be updated remotely over the air. And so there's again a lot of these kind of complexities that um, that we see in terms of trying to to push that processing back out of the data center. And so that's a, a you know I kind of I hope that answers the question. You know, it's the idea of of uh, pushing things out of the data center uh, for processing. Cool. I, it's really interesting. You've obviously touched on um, very different technologies, albeit, you know, you see instances where lots of them are interrelated. Um, what I'm kind of pulling from what you're both saying, though, is that, you know, there's some really interesting and exciting new technologies and new concepts out there, you know, many more than we have mentioned in our short conversation today. Um, but it sounds like um, to me, you know, as much as, um, you know, there are these exciting new technologies and concepts which could deliver real value. It also sounds like there are a lot of challenges that come with actually finding that value. Um, based on your experience. So uh, what I'd be, you know, interested to know is, you know, from, I guess, a, a realistic standpoint, if you like, um, 
you know, what do you see for people considering um, these new technologies? What do you see as the key focus? What do they really need to consider before going on the journey? Jason, do you want to go first? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, we touched on it a little bit at the first of the call, some of the things of 2021 is you really have to uh, do some transformational, you know, uh, uh, things within your organization, your processes, right? So to really um, be able to adopt some of these things, right? So a, a lot of these things do not, you know, fit with the traditional, you know, like, again, let's take the, 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 the modeling example of a t-shirt, right? So, like, no one knows when, uh, you know, uh, that model is going to need to change or update. So it's not like we can plan on it. Like we have a project and we're going to start this project on this date and finish on this date, right? Because who knows when, uh, you know, when those, you know, uh, consumer, you know, buying behaviors change, right? And so these are things that have to kind of be ongoing and continue, you know, so you, you hear a lot of times that the term moving from a project approach to a product or approach, right? Um, so those are some of the, the, you know, I think companies need to think about that uh, and those transformations um, ahead of adopting some of these things because otherwise, you know, if you, you can adopt them and then you don't get the benefit of them and they, they just easily get brushed by the wayside. Um, and I would say also it's a really good idea to, to take a very small and practical use case with a very um, well understood business value, right? We're going to do implement this in this very limited sense to drive, you know, increase in sales or decrease in call processing times or whatever, and, and do it in a very targeted fashion. You know, one, to get uh, up some wins under your belt and, and understand the technologies more, but, you know, if you if you want to say, you know, and it goes back a bit like the, the, the data thing Mary's mentioned, like Chudder, like we're going to re-engineer everything in our, our call center or in our retail shop to be all based around all of these new technologies. That's like not a very, uh, you know, those kind of projects don't have a very high, uh, success rate, and so say, well, we want to adopt this, and we want to do it in a very narrow sense here, get some results, hopefully those results pay for the continued adoption and improvement, right? I know that, that sounds a little bit like agile or lean, but that is the, uh, that's the idea. And then I'd say the second thing companies need to do is, is realize that all of these things come with trade-offs. You know, there, there's often a belief that, the, that this new technology is the silver bullet, right? That, um, that all the previous ones were not. And, you know, it, whatever it is, you know, if you move things centralized, it's easier to upgrade and easier to secure, but it has these trade-offs. We're, we're going to move things out to the edge. Well, that fixes all of those other problems that, that putting it in the cloud had, but it introduces these other challenges, right? And so, there are no perfect solutions, silver bullets, right? It, it's a, it's a, you know, a, a set of trade-offs you have to make. And so going in with that kind of realistic expectation of this won't be perfect, like we are going to have to iterate, we are going to have to evolve, we should take smaller steps and get some learnings and understand how the 
the benefits might come about and where we need to maybe accelerate the usage and where maybe we don't need to, to go invest in it would be, you know, my two recommendations. Marius, any thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jason's already picked a couple of things which uh, I'd have uh, definitely want to say, so I'm going to have to come up with some other ones. But I think uh, they're really related points, I think, actually, which is, um, and I guess the background of this is I was having a look, as I uh, often do before I go to bed, at the various uh, InfoQ and Gartner cycles and what they're saying, you know, with the trends in 2021 and for next year as well. And reflecting, there is a huge spread of stuff to get really excited about and a huge spread of stuff that uh, our customers are adopting. But there's some things which interestingly kind of stay true over the top of it. And it's more almost about the kind of craft of how you deliver technology. And the thing that is true, we've kind of, I think, used the, talked a lot, you know, about the pace of change. And so it's making sure, you know, as Jason said, business value first and foremost has got to be there because technology for technology's sake, it doesn't matter how exciting the technology is if it's not going to actually make a real difference. The other aspect that I think can almost get lost in the noise of all the excitement that, uh, and for me, the kind of two really important things that, that do get lost in all the excitement of the new technologies is what is the craft and the discipline of engineering that is going into delivering that thing? And how are people considering not just how to make something do what they want, but how are they going to support it, maintain it, and how are they going to keep that investment going? Simply because the you know the story of today is organisations with large amounts of mixed IT in many cases because it's things they've accumulated. And once you've built something that's useful and works, it's it's hard to get rid of it, and it's really expensive. So how do people keep focusing on that while recognising that, especially with some of the cloud products? you might build it and a year let down the line, they will be supplying changes to those products which you have to react to. So the difficulty of keeping up to date on the thing you've built just to keep it working for your customers requires you to be really quick at changing stuff and to have really high quality work. And, and the second aspect is that quality one, which is it's still the case, and I think you know this, this is this perennial challenge, that te new technologies get released and then Understanding how to really test them well seems to follow on almost as an afterthought. And I think the more the pace of change increases, the more testability sort of seems to recede into into the kind of background of people's thinking. And actually, I think if you want to be really confident that you can move quickly and that you're hopefully not too likely to break stuff for your business or for your customers, that upfront thinking, you know, or sorry, upfront through the wrong word, but thinking throughout the whole process of, you know, building out for your customers, thinking as soon as you see some new technology, which you think is going to do something really remarkable for you, how you're going to actually be really certain that it is working and that you can keep being sure it's working, how you apply that test rigor to the new technology that you may not have normal ways, you know, where the testing capability may not exist, where you may not understand how to do it, um, I think is really um, absolutely key. Um, and again, it's it's almost not very exciting some of this stuff, and you could rightly argue that this has been true for a long time. But I think the pace, you know, the pace of change that we have now means it has to be even more, you know, uh, front of mind and even more rigorous. So if I'm, go ahead, Jason. Is something you want to add? Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna add to that. Um, you know that I, I agree 100%, Marius, that 
you know, one of my favorite things to talk about is Lehman's laws. These are like, you know, uh, a, a set of observations that are, I don't know, they're probably 40, 50 years old now, but, you know, the, 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 the cost of a system is constant over its lifetime. And, and, you know, this is back to the, you know, parts of the organizations have to transform that aren't necessarily technology. You know, we, we tend to start projects by saying, well, here's, we're going to go do this, implement this solution, implement this technology, implement this product, or build this product, and that's going to cost $5 million over the next year, and then we're, you know, we're going to have a great ROI because now, you know, that cost is done, and we're going to make, you know, uh, you know half a million dollars a month. And But, you know, those are, are somewhat, frankly, naive um, estimates because that $5 million it doesn't go away. Like that becomes the cost of supporting, maintaining, upgrading, adopting, you know, uh, securing when new vulnerabilities come out, adding new features like that goes on forever. And um, that's the idea of, of it back, some of the idea back behind the product, not project. We can't have these starts and stops. We have to have some team that is responsible for the life, you know, owning that, that solution or that product over its entire life. And that's an ongoing thing. And if those things are not factored into the, you know, business case and, and, uh, of of the product and, and how that, uh, you know, what often happens is you find that products don't make the business case, you know, because the business case was wrong or, or you know, faulty, and then they get, uh, you know, they go by the wayside and, and there's a real opportunity or lost opportunity to do that value. So. You know, actually, Forrester has been actually really good about recognizing this in a lot of their transformational workbooks. Um, not to, you know, praise the competition, but they do get this right. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, in talking about, like, you've got to have new ways to model the the, the business case for these products, right, in, in terms of what do they enable from a customer experience? What is that revenue that they drive? Um and how quickly can we adopt these new things to enable then further customer acquisition, customer retention, uh, revenue, those top things, whatever those, those business metrics are, uh, as opposed to what's the cost of this project? Sure. I think um, the sort of main takeaway that I'm hearing from this is really around, I use the word value because that's the word we keep coming back to. But it's how do you assess that value to you making a step change and adopting a new technology? It's not so much just the financial monetary cost, whether that be upfront or longer term, as you kind of just said, Jason, but it's also, um, I guess... <laughs> the realization of that value and how easy or difficult it's going to be. So say, you know, I think Maris, you mentioned earlier about not having access to the right skills up front. You know, is that going to then mean that it takes you longer to realize the value and therefore you lose some of the benefit? Or actually, as you've kind of mentioned, Jason, does that then mean that the business case kind of falls out? Or, you know, is there a security risk that you need to consider, you know, it sounds like there are many challenges, but the sort of, and I guess this is where I'm trying to draw the conversation. Um, you've already mentioned one of the ways that we can kind of 
get around that potentially organizations can get around that is start small and iterate jason um you know so drawing this all to a conclusion um and not to put you both on the spot but um we've mentioned a few things i think it'd be a really good way to round out this conversation um by asking you both is there a, a particular technology that you're that we haven't maybe mentioned that you're really excited about and why and then i guess what would be if you were going to give people one piece of practical advice to take away from the conversation what would it be the one thing we haven't re mentioned is the idea of the digital twin um you know i think that technology there is fairly new and immature right there are some products that are, are starting to uh, come out there's there's a lot of challenge there with in terms of like interact you know uh with the actual device manufacturers but uh it, it has a to me it has a lot of potential business value use cases uh whatever that uh that are not that are not often thought about and we we often see it like well i can see the the state of my manufacturing plant or my you know uh my hotel and, and what all the devices are and I can get a copy of that. I can do predictive analytics and that kind of thing. But I, I think there's a lot other, a lot of other value in terms of testing um, and uh, essentially simulating uh, behavior, what might happen. And, and Mary talked about the ability to like test these things. Like it's, it's, it's really hard to test stuff that gets distributed externally and the ability to, recreate those, know what's going, get an inventory, understand if there's a vulnerability somewhere, where is it, what's impacted. Um, if I make this change, how does it, you know, how does that react with the other changes that are going to be made? So I think there's a lot of um, really good use, or, or really good potential use cases for, for some of that technology. Uh, but again, it is fairly, uh, new and immature so as always I would recommend kind of stepping into it um, and I, I guess the one piece of advice or, or thing that I would like people listening to this to take away is is you know don't get so much enamored with the technology uh, as the how are we going to uh, build teams and processes to adopt and continue to operate and scale and monitor and adjust and use this technology because, you know, otherwise it becomes, you know, a one and done kind of implementation that is, you know, uh, which most companies are, are littered with, with those from the past 20 years and we call them legacy. You know, we've got this legacy system, that legacy system, that legacy system. Well, at one point in the past, those were the cool new technologies that just never got maintained, right? So, um don't create tomorrow's legacy today you know make sure that we have the right things in place to keep uh evolving and maintaining the solution right i should probably have an answer now i suspect on what i'm most excited given that jason has so kindly gone first um it is still incredibly hard to pick uh, a single set of things i'm excited about or even a sort of single technology area but if i was to pick just one. I think 
I would go for what I might sort of dove DevSecOps going mainstream. What do I mean by that? Um, well, there's been quite a lot of buzz in the industry for a while about security automation and it's becoming more engineering like in how security teams support estates in being secure. It's still a long way from being a reality. Um, there's definitely a people dimension to that. The organizations that do this stuff are not yet typically, they're not, unless they're the Amazons and Googles of this world, they haven't got yet got security capability that thinks like an engineering team and that builds products so that the rest of their organization can be more secure. But I think we're getting to a point now where it's becoming really noticeable how essential that is, where the blocking effect of not having that stuff is becoming really critical. And so why am I quite excited about it going mainstream? You know, why am I excited about Lambda functions being written by all sorts of uh, folk who might previously have supervised policy documents now getting engineering teams to make software that applies the policy. I think it's because it's going to let everyone go much, much quicker while hopefully seeing slightly fewer of the scary <laughs> cyber events that seem to be becoming more common as well. So that's me, the big one. And then in terms of my one piece of advice, uh, I think it's, um, it goes down it goes back to almost measurability um i think there's still a lot of mileage in thinking about and measuring the effectiveness of delivery in it and the effectiveness of engineering teams and uh, using things like the four key measures to understand how well things are working and how well your teams are doing some of the things jason mentioned in terms of their ability to support these new products they're building and their ability to um, operate successfully and not generate you know, massive cost in operation. So uh, I think you know, that's probably the thing I'd advise most is you know, think about when people are going to go out and build some of this new stuff, how do they know they're building it well and um, make sure that they, you know, when they, when things break, they learn from those mistakes, investigate it and keep improving all the time. Awesome. Okay, uh, I think that's you know sage advice from you both, and a good place to end as we've um, come to our time. So thank you to everybody that has tuned in and listened to this today. Um, we certainly hope that it has been um, useful and insightful. Um, Marius, Jason, it'd be great to have you on again in the future um, if we can pull you away from your busy schedules to. Uh, you know, maybe have a look at um, trends further down the line, whether we were right or wrong. That might be quite an interesting conversation. Um, but otherwise, um, apologies that we are back to uh, recording from multiple different locations due to um, the restrictions that the globe is now under. Um, we will be back in the studio soon, hopefully. Um, but, thank you very much for tuning in if you have any questions for marius or jason please get in touch via our website or um you can leave a message to the podcast either way we will make sure anything is passed on and get a response out to you um otherwise uh, stay well stay safe and take care cheers all bye thank you very much kyle great to chat thanks kyle good to talk to you again there cheers jason
Cheers, guys. Bye.